0: I'm going to be looking at a bit of the Bible, um, a story that I've been working through. Um, but before that, I wanted to introduce you to this guy. Does anyone know who this is? No? Uh, has anyone watched the film Just Mercy? No. That's something you can go away and do if you don't do anything else off the back of this. So this guy is called Brian Stevenson and he's an American lawyer. And he's best known um, for, he's done All kinds of cases defending people where the justice system hasn't treated them right. Uh, Often it's been because of the color of their skin and they have been convicted without proper uh, evidence against them. Um, The systems haven't worked properly and they've been discriminated against. And this guy takes up these cases and he has won hundreds of cases for people that had been uh, the victims of injustice. And the reason I'm introducing you to him is that he's a guy that has faced all kinds of opposition in his life. And the story that we're going to be looking at uh, tonight is a story where God's people face opposition. Brian Stevenson is a Christian, um, and he talks openly about his faith and how that has caused him to do the things that he does. And we as people today and as God's people today will face opposition. And so we're going to look at a story that happened thousands of years ago. But I also want to look at how it's relevant for us today. And it might be in blatant cases of injustice. Or it might be that we face oppression personally at work with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family. uh, Whatever it might be. And I want to explore a little bit what it is to face opposition, but also what that can mean for us and the opportunities that that can mean for us as God's people. To do that, we're going to look at the story of Esther, which I've been going through forever now, uh, since before the pandemic. And so I'm going to catch you up to speed, because it's unlikely you've been here for the whole way through. And so if you don't know the story, I'm going to catch you up to where we are. Esther was a Jewish girl, and she was living in exile with her uncle Mordecai, who had brought her up in the capital of the Persian Empire, Susa. And she, um, from the beginning of the story, pretty much, she and her uncle Mordecai, and actually all her people, have been facing opposition. Initially, she gets taken away from her uncle, probably by force, to become the new queen for the king of Persia. Now, it seems like a glamorous thing, but actually, in reality, probably what happened would make for an X-rated film. The way she was taken away, the way she was, they were sort of tested out, the women, to choose the new queen, it was probably not a very nice experience. And Mordecai had his adoptive daughter taken off him, effectively. But then, later on, Throughout most of the story, the opposition comes from a guy called Haman, who clearly hates the Jews, but in particular, he hates Esther's uncle Mordecai, because he loves power, he loves to feel important, and so as he wanders around, what he's asked people to do is to bow down to him, but her uncle Mordecai refuses to bow down to this guy, Haman, and he is infuriated by that. So much so that he convinces the king to sign a decree allowing, on a certain date, for all the Jewish people throughout the whole Persian Empire, which was the biggest empire to date at that point, for all the Jewish people to be annihilated. Now, the king doesn't actually realize at this point that Esther, his new queen, is a Jew, because her uncle had said to her when she went in to the palace, he said, keep it a secret for your own safety. So it was obviously already opposition and persecution there, uh, but the king doesn't realize he's kind of been tricked into signing a decree which is, will cause the annihilation of his own queen uh, and all her people. Um, but as we go through, H- Esther comes to this point where she has to face this decision. What does she do? Does she stand up for her people and for her uncle and for herself? Or does she ignore it and try and hope that because she's inside the palace, she'll be okay, she'll be protected? What does she do? And her uncle convinces her to stand up, to speak up, to go in to see the king and to ask for their lives, which actually risks her life going in there because if the king didn't receive her well, if she went in uninvited and he didn't receive her well, she was risking her life but she decides to do that and she goes in to visit the king. But instead, he receives her well and he says to her, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And you'd think at that point, Esther would say, okay, this is what I want, but she doesn't. Instead, she invites just the king and Haman to a banquet. And the king says, yes. And they come to the banquet. And again, the king offers her up to half his kingdom. What does she want? He'll give her whatever she wants. And again, She says, will you come to a banquet tomorrow with Haman? And Haman goes away. Wow, aren't I just so important? The queen has invited just me and the king to a banquet two days in a row. Look at me. But on his way home, he passes Mordecai, who doesn't bow down to him, and he is infuriated. And because he's fairly impatient, he can't wait for the date that they're going to be annihilated. So he goes home, and overnight he has a gallows built. To hang Esther's uncle Mordecai on. The only problem is things start ticking quite fast now in the story. And on the same night, the king can't sleep, And he happens to find in gallows. He happens to find, in a book of records, he discovers that and we hear about this earlier in the story of Esther that Mordecai had actually saved his life. Mordecai had uncovered a plot to kill the king and had saved the king's life, but he'd never been rewarded for it. And the king discovers this on the same night that a gallows is built to hang Mordecai. So when Haman comes in in the morning, by a strange set of coincidences, or you could say God-incidences, he ends up, instead of hanging Mordecai on a gallows, he ends up parading Mordecai. So Haman is parading this horse around the city with Mordecai on it, with a crown on, shouting, how the king wants to honor Mordecai because he'd saved the king's life. So things are starting to turn on their head um, in the story of Esther. It's starting to reach the pinnacle, which is where we come to today. Esther chapter seven, when we come to the second banquet that Esther holds for the king and for Haman. And my dad's gonna come and read the story. And what I'd like you to do is if possible, you can look at the words. The words will be on the screen, and I know we like to look at the words and uh, all that. But I wonder, for some of us, it might be helpful. Maybe just shut your eyes and imagine yourself there. You might want to imagine yourself as being Queen Esther hosting this banquet, knowing that the life of your people <coughs> rests in your hands. You might want to be put yourself in the body of Haman, depending on what kind of uh, feel how you feel tonight and uh, see how that goes for him, or in the body of the king, or maybe one of the servants at the side that's serving. Put yourself in that position. Listen to the story and see how you feel. Put yourself inside it as we listen to the story.
1: Okay. So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther, and on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what's your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we'd been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Ahazuerus said to Queen Esther, who is he, and where is he, and who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king rose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated.
0: Quite a story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories. We thank you for what we can learn. We pray that you would speak to us tonight. Amen. So, quite a story. Quite a drama What has that got to do with us living here now in Sutton Coldfield in 2022? And I just want to look at three things that I think are very apt to our lives. And the first thing is simply this. God's people will face opposition. We're going to face it. We see it in the story of Esther, we see it throughout history, and we see it around the world. Eugene Peterson said, wherever there are people of God, there are enemies of God. And the Bible says it quite a lot as well. Here's one instance where it says it. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But it's difficult, isn't it? Because we look around and we think, well, the evil doers aren't going from bad to worse. If anything, they're getting rewarded. And actually, in the first part of Esther, that's what you see. Haman gets rewarded. He gets put to a really high position. He's the king's chief advisor. And yet now, we're seeing justice slowly coming in. There isn't full justice yet. Haman's out of the way. But the decree still there, hanging over their heads, and actually anything signed by the king couldn't be reversed. So it's not totally come to a conclusion yet, but it's coming there. So how do we deal with this when there is opposition? Whether it be on a small scale, whether it be something personal to us, whether it be a huge thing going on in our lives, whether it be something that's affecting whole nations around the world. How do we deal with that? And. One thing that I, uh, 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 as I look at this, and you think, why do God's people experience opposition wherever they go? Wherever God's people are, why is there also God's enemies? And one of the things is that when we ask God to be our Lord, when we decide to give him our lives, that we will live for him. He gives us these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And yet, these things clash terribly with what society is telling us we should live like. Society is telling us, look after number one. Look after yourself. Get what you need. Get yourself ahead first. If you have a bit left over, then fair enough, help someone. You're the most important person. And that kind of living clashes with these values that Jesus gives us. And actually, just before this part of Galatians, it says this. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional rubbish frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can see this stuff all around us. And if we're really honest, we can see some of this in our own lives. Living instead of for Jesus' values, but for what society tells us we should live for, what's important in life. And actually, what does that do? That creates the injustices. That creates the mess that is going on in our society. And we want to be a people that live for that first list. We want to be different. But if we do that, we will face opposition. And it might not be blatant, as with Esther, but sometimes the subtle opposition is more dangerous to our souls. It comes gradually, it sneaks in, slowly changes our minds and how we're thinking. We slowly become like them. Or we get so worn down gradually that we end up just giving up. We can't do it anymore. And actually, that subtle opposition is sometimes even more dangerous. And if we find that our values are perfectly aligned with the values of the media, of what we see on social media, or of a political party. If we're perfectly aligned with any of those and we see it and we think, oh, yeah, I agree with all of this, that's great, Oh, that's good, like, 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 like. Maybe we're not experiencing opposition and maybe we need to ask ourselves a question. What are we living for? Who is our Lord? What's defining the way that we live? Is it that first list? Or is it that second list? If there's no opposition, then we need to take a look at our lives and check that we're being formed by God and his values rather than anyone else or anything else. In fact, I would say being formed by God and his values is important whether we're facing opposition or not. Because if we're facing opposition, then we need to be strengthened constantly. If we're not facing opposition, then we need to reflect why aren't we facing opposition? Are we just the same? Are we not standing up for those values? And so one thing, uh, if you struggle to get stuck into God's word, because we have a load of things that encourage us to be formed by God. We have each other and meeting with each other coming here tonight. We have uh, the Bible which teaches us God's values and how he wants us to be. We have the whole of his creation to enjoy and be grateful for. But if you struggle to get into God's word, this QR code will take you to a WhatsApp group that one of our mission partners, Liddy Hampson, uh, runs. She runs every uh, Advent. She goes through one chapter a day during Luke. So they started on the 1st, but she said, you're welcome to join them now. You can start at the beginning if you want. You can start on chapter 4 if you want. Quite a few people joined this morning. Um, and on there, there are people, and, and it's worth keeping in mind, there are people who are totally, wouldn't call themselves Christians at all, And there are people who have been Christians for years and years and years. There's people over in Ibiza where they live. There's people around the world. And there's people here uh, in Sutton. And the idea is that we read a chapter a day and just share what you think about it. Or just go on the WhatsApp group and see what other people have thought. Some of the thoughts had never occurred to me. Because they're people that have a totally different walk of life from me. And the insights are amazing. But if you struggle to get into God's Word... Why not join with other people? It's one of the best ways of encouraging us to do that is joining with other people. If you don't struggle to get into God's Word, but you're wanting to get a fresh perspective, I wouldn't suggest this as an alternative to reading the Bible or to coming here to church, but if you want a fresh perspective on Jesus' life, can I recommend something that my mum recommended uh, for Advent? watch an episode of The Chosen every now and then. The Chosen is a new dramatization of the life of Jesus, but it's really, really well done, and it is worth watching. Instead of going on and seeing the next episode on whatever Netflix show that you are watching, look for The Chosen. There's an app. It's on YouTube. You can find it all over the place. Just search for it and watch that, or watch it together with other people um, as we immerse ourselves and kind of Try and get ourselves formed by him rather than all the other stuff that the world is bombarding us with because we have to think about that because if we don't we slowly get dragged down so God's people will face opposition as Esther and her people did but it doesn't stop there because opposition provides opportunity for God's people And you see that in the story of Esther. When Haman moved, Esther was faced with this decision. Do I stand up? Do I do something? Or do I try and hide? What does she do? And that decision could have been postponed. She could have ignored it. She could have tried to hide in the palace. But instead, that opposition caused her to move into a new way of being. She developed as a woman because of that opposition in a way that she wouldn't have done if Haman hadn't stood up. And I like this description of it. Esther moved from being a beauty queen to a Jewish saint, from a sex symbol to a passionate intercessor, from a being pampered in the harem to courageously standing and speaking. She moved from someone who was fairly passive to someone who stood up for her people, a powerful woman. And if she hadn't have had opposition, she never would have had that opportunity to do that. She really stepped into who God had made her to be. And there will be opposition, but how will we respond to that? Esther could have said to Mordecai, no, I'm not standing up for that. It's putting my life in danger. I'm fine here, Thanks. I'm here in the palace, they don't know that I'm a Jew. I'm all right. And equally, we can choose to do that. We can bubble wrap ourselves in our little Christian clique and say, actually, I'm all right. Opposition isn't going to get me, I'm not going to stand up. I'm going to hide here in my artificial little shelter. Esther could also have sided with the king. She could have said, well, I'm in the palace now. After all, I am his queen. I'm not siding with you anymore. I'm here in this household. I'm one of these people. I'm not going to stand up for the Jews. And we can choose that as well. We can choose to become so well adapted to the society around us that actually we don't have any opposition. But then what side are we on? What are we living for? And the Bible encourages us not to do that. It says this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it, which is what Esther did, and that's our choice. Do we respond to it, or don't we? Quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We can remain as children, immature, thinking all about ourselves, which is the want that childrens have. It's all about me. Or we can allow God to develop the best in us, to bring out the best in us, to form well-formed maturity in us. Do we want to become so well-adapted to the society that we don't look any different? The guy that I chatted about at the beginning, um, the, the lawyer, he's in this film uh, called Just Mercy, and there's a little clip that I want you to watch, and it's him, Brian Stevenson, talking about why he took on this job, why he did what he did, uh, and there's little clips from the film and stuff, um, but just listen to what he says.
2: In there were no resources for the accused in the state of Alabama. I started working on behalf of condemned prisoners. I have won relief, release, or reversals for 140 people on death row. My name is Brian Stevenson, and I'm a human rights lawyer in Montgomery, Alabama. Just Mercy focuses on a case I did involving a man named Walter McMillan who was wrongly convicted and sentenced to death. You don't know what it is down here when you're guilty from the moment you're born. Despite knowledge of his innocence, people were still so committed to moving the case forward. I realised I was going to have to stand up when people said, sit down.
0: And I think that quote uh, is so powerful. I realised I was going to have to stand up when people said, sit down. Will we stand up when... Our kids come home and have been taught, or their friends have said something that we know not to be good. Will we sit down, take the time, explain, chat it through with them? When our friends question us on a difficult issue, are we prepared and ready to stand up and explain in a loving way, in a way that is understandable, non-confrontational, that doesn't put people's backs up, but are we willing to explain why we maybe feel differently? Why we would want to stand with the least in this world, with the oppressed, and therefore with Jesus. When social media gives us an oversimplified, nice-sounding quote, will we stand against what everyone is posting? Perhaps by simply not reposting it when everyone else is. By saying, actually, this is a half-truth, or maybe just a blatant untruth, which we realize because we're formed by God and by his word. Or perhaps it will even be the beginning of a conversation in person. Sometimes when things are shared on social media, the most unhelpful thing to do is to reply right there on social media. Far more helpful. Meet up for a coffee, chat, if it happens to come up. Could you explain, well, actually, I think differently on this. Are we willing to stand up for something different? Or are we just wanting to go along with the crowd? What, do, what are our lives about? When we see an injustice being done, do we just moan or despair or maybe just ignore it, stick our heads in the sand? Or do we do something about it? Do we speak to the person who can make a difference? write to the politician who can make a difference maybe or who can speak up like Queen Esther went to the king? And do we speak to the one who can change everything? How do we react when we see injustice being done? Opposition will come, but it provides an opportunity for us. And how will we respond? And this brings me on to the last thing. Uh, Oh, actually, first. I wonder whether this week, you might want to start reading the Bible a bit more, you might watch The Chosen, but as a second thing, we've got this opportunity. Could you maybe ask God, so before Esther ever stood up, she spent time fasting with her people. Could you maybe give a little bit of time this week and say, actually, God, can you highlight something to me? I I, I, I'm not sensing any opposition here. I'm not seeing anything going on. It's injustice. Maybe spend some time chatting to God about it, and maybe he'll show you something then. Maybe say to him, throughout this week, could you show me something? Because he does that. he will suddenly highlight, and you'll suddenly notice someone in your class, in your workplace, and you'll think, actually, some, this isn't right, what's being done to them. I need to stand for this person, I need to stand with this person. Or maybe something in the news will click and it will break your heart for it. Could you maybe give a chance for God to highlight something and then maybe find something that you can do about it? Who can you go talk to? What petition can you sign? Who can you write to? Do you need to go speak to the boss? Do you need to speak to a teacher? Do you need to speak to those friends who aren't acting right? How can you stand up? If we are a people that stand up in those cases, what difference can we make if we all stood up for something? How many different situations would there be of people standing up for things? And this brings me on to the last thing, because opposition will come, and we can choose how we react, but one thing that makes a huge amount of difference is if we know this. God's people and their opposition will face justice. And we see it in the story of Esther, and we haven't yet seen it in all our situations. But justice will come in the end. It's beginning to happen in the story of Esther. They still haven't resolved the decree, but Haman's been dealt with. And it may seem quite harsh what happened in this story. We prefer to think of a world with no death, no punishment. But while sin exists, that would mean we'd live in a very unjust society if there were no consequences. And the good news is that Jesus took our place. He took the consequences for our sin. But that is for those that are willing to say, actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. And Jesus, I take your offer of taking my place. And I turn away from that bad stuff and I want to go the other way. I want to go your way. I want to live for you. I don't want to live for all that stuff anymore. For the people like Haman that continued and kept going and was totally unrepentant, justice has to come. Otherwise, our world would be just carry on the same. There wouldn't be any hope in something better, in a better world. And actually, our God is the God of justice, and there will be justice, and we can live in that hope. And that is why we want to tell people about Jesus, because we want them to be on this side. We're on the winning side. Jesus has defeated death on the cross. There will be justice. All the horrendous stuff going on. Justice will come. Which side will we choose to put our lives on? What is our life gonna mean when we look at eternity? Martin Luther King Jr. said, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. In other words, it may take time, but justice will come. God's kingdom will be established with all those values, love, hope, peace, joy, and all who are against it will either have to have chosen to come onto his side or they will be destroyed. Because otherwise, we're just going to have a repeat of the mess that we see now. Brian Stevenson says a little bit more in this clip. Just listen uh, to what he says. And he's just referring to the film uh, that was made about this case.
2: Your life is still meaningful, and I'm going to do everything possible to keep them from taking it. I would never imagined that the work would be the subject of a major motion picture. It's humbling to see people respond so strongly. Audience members walk out of the theater feeling hopeful and inspired. I want to give them hope because we can't prevail in the absence of hope. That, to me, is heroic. We all need mercy.
0: that thing that he said at the end, Now, want to give them hope because we can't prevail in the absence of hope. We will face opposition and we have an opportunity in the face of opposition, but we're not going to carry on without hope. We have to keep reminding each other, ourselves. We have to keep talking to God, the God that conquered death on the cross, and reminding ourselves that we do this with hope, with hope in a better future when injustice will be gone, when death will be gone, when oppression will be gone, when we won't have opposition. Sickness will be gone, sadness will be gone, violence will be gone. We have hope in a kingdom that is so different to the one that we see taking charge all around us at the moment. And that hope is because death has already been defeated in the cross. And we are living and working towards, and we have that invitation to work with God towards the building of that kingdom, that alternative kingdom. And it's easy to look around and to lose hope when we look at our world which is why we gather together here at church. It's why we gather in small groups. It's why we read God's word. It's why we remind ourselves of these things. It's why we take communion to remind ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross when he gave himself so that justice would be done, but that so that we could still go and live with him in this perfect kingdom. God's people and their opposition will face justice. We will face opposition, which is why it's so important to be rooted in God's word, reminding ourselves of the truths and the promises that make us who we are, so that when we look at stuff, we look at it through the lens, through because we have been formed in that way of thinking. Those values come naturally to us. They're not something we have to force because we've been practicing them, because we've been showering ourselves in that more than in all the other stuff that the world bombards us with. And when opposition comes, opportunity comes as well. Will we choose to stand? Will we speak out? And we do all of that knowing that we can do it with hope. God's people and their opposition will face justice. And we have that invitation to join God as he works towards justice being done and his kingdom being established, which will be so much better than everything around us. Which side will we choose to stand on? What is our life gonna mean for that? Esther didn't invite opposition. It just came. It's not that we go out there looking for a fight. Opposition will come if we stand for Jesus. But how will we respond? And will we keep hope as we look for that and keep reminding ourselves of that? In a bit, we're gonna uh, remind ourselves through communion. But for now, I'm just gonna invite Joel back and the musicians as I pray and Let's remind ourselves through the words in the songs, as we sing over each other, remind ourselves of the hope that we have and encourage us as we go out into the week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of justice, but you're also the God of grace and mercy, that you made it possible for us to be part of your kingdom but not just that, that we might work with you to bring your kingdom in, a kingdom so different to all the stuff that we see going on around us, that we see in the story of Esther, that we see Brian Stevenson having to fight against. Father, we pray in the subtle, small opposition, in the big, blatant stuff going around, in all of that, that we would see the opposition, that we would acknowledge it, but that then we would choose to stand for you against it. And that we as your people would be distinct, that we would shine like stars, and that people would be drawn towards you and your way of doing things. Give us your hope. Fill us with your spirit as we go out this week. In your name we pray. Amen